Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Division rocks our side of the struggle to restore and preserve the traditions and true Catholic faith in the Church. We often lament this situation, and whenever our struggle peaks into mainstream Catholic and secular reporting, this debate and these divisions go public. It's a sad reality, and it isn't helped by the broader state of the Church at the moment, which everyone knows isn't great. We know the Church is a mess that much of the hierarchy these past few decades have permitted the most monstrous crimes to be committed and covered up, that these same people were responsible for the implementation of the wishes of a council whose task it was to open the windows of the church to the world, only to result in the smoke of Satan pouring in and obscuring the truth, while the enemies of the church from within caused rupture, chaos, and dissension that led to the loss of countless souls and vocations. These are practically indisputable, with the collapse of belief in the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist being the absolute proof of this. Yet today, if you say that the Council was a big part of that problem, if you dare to point out that today the same people who took that Council over and voted for its radical agenda were the same people who implemented that agenda that caused such misery and woe, you are the schismatic, not the people who caused the problem. Today I have for you a story about this internal rupture in the church and how it has obviously and clearly come for its most logical public target, Archbishop Vigano. So let's get into this because I know we were all expecting this. But first I wanted to thank everyone who has in the past couple of months either clicked that join button or decided to support the channel through Subscribestar, Patreon, or directly in the old-fashioned way. It is truly appreciated, especially in these uncertain times. Everyone who subscribes to this channel is in my prayers, and your support is always humbling. If you'd like to support the channel on a recurring basis, options for that are in the description of this video. Thanks again, and God bless. June was truly the month of Archbishop Vigano. He became a name that non-Catholics spoke about with respect and derision, depending on their views. His various letters to the public and to the most powerful man in the world made waves, exposing what we characterized as a subversion of the Church that mirrored the subversion of the government in, of the U.S. by its enemies, and how this was a spiritual battle of the deepest and darkest kind. He then, and not coincidentally, released two letters about the Second Vatican Council, linking them logically to the content of his letter to the leader of the free world. That is the only reason why he released them when he did. This flurry of activity was punctuated by an interview with Philip Lawler late last week, which I have a couple of quotes from for this podcast today. This activity made him a target, the initial pushback coming from the expected sources in the modernist outfits like America Magazine and others who pushed back on his secular politics and the message related to that, and ignored his talk about Vatican II, which is rather telling. New pushback has come from the so-called conservative Novus Ordo crowd, who pushed the hermeneutic of continuity. In short, Vigano has been accused of being a schismatic, or near one, by the same people who believe that if you do not buy into the hermeneutic of continuity, you are the schismatic, rather than the people who called the council the French Revolution in the church, and they said, and they called it that, 
as a positive thing, not as a negative. This should be a cautionary tale that reminds us that we are often alone in our desire for a return of the traditions and practices of the Catholic faith to being the same as that of our forebears and the great saints and doctors of the Church prior to the revolution of the 1960s. Yet that desire, we are told, is schismatic. Vigano's interview with Philip Lawler at catholicculture.org probably was the straw that broke the camel's back for some of these people. Let's have a look at the comments he made that were most incendiary for some of the allegedly conservative side of things. Mr. Lawler begins by asking him several questions, but at the heart of this question is, if the council is a problem, how did that happen, and how do we reconcile that with an infallible magisterial authority? This is something that people on our side of things have often been wrestling with for these past several decades. Vigano's response, which I'll only quote in part, is, as usual, thoughtful and direct. Quote, I do not think that it is necessary to demonstrate that the Council represents a problem. The simple fact that we are raising this question about Vatican II and not about Trent or Vatican I seems to me to confirm a fact that it is obvious and recognized by everyone. In reality, even those who defend the Council with swords drawn find themselves doing so, apart from all other previous ecumenical councils, of which not even one was ever said to be a pastoral council. And note that they call it the council, par excellence, as if it was the one and only council in the entire history of the church, or at least considering it as a unicum, whether because of the formulation of its doctrine or for the authority of its magisterium. It is a council that, differently from all those who preceded it, called itself a pastoral council, declaring that it did not want to propose any new doctrine, but which in fact created a distinction between before and after, between a dogmatic council and pastoral council, between unequivocal canons and empty talk, between anathema sit and winking at the world. In this sense, I believe that the problem of the infallibility of the magisterium, the inerrancy you mention is properly a quality of sacred scripture, does not even arise, because the legislator, that is, the Roman pontiff, around whom the council was convened, solemnly and clearly affirmed that he did not want to use the doctrinal authority which he could have exercised if he wanted. I would like to make the observation that nothing is more pastoral than what is proposed as dogmatic, because the exercise of the munis docendi in its highest form coincides with the order that the Lord gave to Peter to feed his sheep and lambs. And yet this opposition between dogmatic and pastoral was made precisely by the one who in his discourse opening the council sought to give a severe meaning to dogma and a softer, more conciliatory meaning to pastoral care. We also find the same setting in the interventions of Bergoglio, where he identifies pastoralism as a soft version of rigid Catholic teaching in matters of faith and morals, in the name of discernment. It is painful to recognize that the practice of having recourse to an equivocal lexicon, using Catholic terms understood in an improper way, invade the church starting with Vatican II, which is the first and most emblematic example of the so-called circuitism, the equivocating and intentionally imprecise use of language. This happened because of the aggiornamento, a term in itself ideologically promoted by the council as an absolute held dialogue with the world to be its priority above all else, end quote. This accusation of failed dialogue with the world is something that the modernists absolutely bristle at. Their focus on worldly affairs since the council is evidence of this. What has happened since that time? Globetrotting popes, popes speaking before the UN and embracing bizarre programs that have either nothing to do with the faith or are an implicit embracing of a sort of neo-Druidic environmental agenda, 
and the infiltration of the Vatican by non-Catholic technocrats who are pushing a wicked agenda that violates the command of God to be fruitful and multiply writ large, the same agenda that is pushed by the medical Moloch industry globally. This, coupled with bishops and priests becoming celebrities and friends with the political elite, typically of the Molochian variety, is a byproduct of this council and its desire to dialogue with the world, a dialogue that has been purely surrender. The world has not become more Catholic. The church has become much more worldly, and just look at the state of the church internally as examples of that. We have short lines for confession and very long lines for communion. That was a byproduct of the council. We have girl altar boys now and communion in the hand. These things are the byproducts of the council. Remember, it is the same people who pushed the reforms at the council that then implemented the reforms after the council. That was done on purpose. But let's continue. One last excerpt from that interview. The whole thing is, again, on catholicculture.org. Or you can go to returntotradition.org and look at my show notes for a direct link to it, because his website is not the easiest to navigate. Vigano says of the infiltration and subversion of the church, quote, You ask me, how were all the council fathers deceived? I reply by drawing on my experience of those years and the words of my brothers with whom I engaged in discussion at that time. No one could have imagined that right in the heart of the ecclesial body, there were hostile forces so powerful and organized that they could succeed in rejecting the perfectly orthodox preparatory schemas that had been prepared by cardinals and prelates with a reliable fidelity to the church, replacing them with a bundle of cleverly disguised errors behind long-winded and deliberately equivocal speeches. No one could have believed that, right under the vaults of the Vatican Basilica, the Estates General could be convoked that would decree the abdication of the Catholic Church and the inauguration of the Revolution. As I've already mentioned in a previous article, Cardinal Swinens called Vatican II the 1789 of the Church. The Council Fathers were the object of a sensational deception, of a fraud that was cleverly perpetrated by having recourse to the most subtle means. They found themselves in the minority of the linguistic groups, excluded from meetings convened at the last moment, pressured into giving their placet by making them believe that the Holy Father wanted it. And what the innovators did not succeed in obtaining in the conciliar aula, they achieved in the commissions and committees. Thanks also to the activism of theologians and Pariti, who were accredited and acclaimed by a powerful press machine. There is a vast array of studies and documents that testify to this systematic malicious men's mentality of some of the council fathers on the one hand, and the naive optimism or carelessness of other well-intentioned council fathers on the other. The activity of the coitus internationalis patrum, opposing the innovators, could do little or nothing when the violations of the rules by the progressives were ratified at the sacred table itself by the Pope. End quote. It is for these words in his two letters expressing what many of us have been saying for many years now that he was accused of being a schismatic by the conservative Novus Ordo Press. Sandro Magister, a longtime Vatican journalist, accused Vigano of schism in his blog recently. This isn't mere rumor-mongering on his part or the rantings of a marginal journalist. Magister is a long-respected journalist of all things Catholic. To call him a journalist is almost an insult to him given the state of that profession today. He is someone who takes his job of reporting seriously and faithfully. This accusation should sting, and it represents part of the great divide in the church. For those who want us all to be on the same side, this is part of what we're dealing with. What are Magister's accusations? Let's have a very quick look at his piece. He extensively quotes and even provides a link to the full text of Benedict XVI's Hermeneutic of Continuity Address from December 2005, which is important context for this piece. Quote, 
Benedict XVI promoted him to Apostolic Nuncio in the United States in 2011. The meek theologian Pope certainly could not have imagined, nine years ago, that Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, who returned to his private life in 2016 but has been anything but hidden, would today be blaming him for having deceived the whole church in that he would have it be believed that the Second Vatican Council was immune to heresies and, moreover, should be interpreted in perfect continuity with true perennial doctrine. Attention, not the council interpreted badly, but the council as such and en bloc. In his latest public statements, in fact, Vigano has rejected as too timid and vacuous even the claim of some to correct Vatican II here and there, in its texts which in his judgment are more blatantly heretical, such as the Declaration Dignitatis Humanae on Religious Freedom. Because what must be done once and for all, he has demanded, is to drop it in toto and forget it. End quote. Magister goes on to point out that Vigano mentions the stonecutters as part of the infiltration of the church, but, so, but does so to discredit him. Remember, the plot against the church is viewed as paranoid ramblings and not to be ser taken seriously, despite the fact that Leo XIII and Pius X absolutely took the issue seriously. But we know better now, I guess. Magister does this and then admits there is a hermeneutic of discontinuity in the teaching on religious liberty from the council and then excuses it completely. This is the crux of the conservative Novus Ordo and traditionalist divide. Certainly there are other issues that divide us, but this issue is one of the major ones, and it lies at the heart of the church's traditional condemnation of classical liberalism. What you're seeing in this divide between what Vigano said in his letters and to Philip Lawler, the response he received from Magister, and certainly others in the coming days, is the same as you see in the vitriolic debates among people who are supposed to be united in the common cause against the modernists presently running the church. For those who wish for unity over division, this is the perfect example of this and what lies at its heart. The schneider Vigano letters were a much more polite and collegial version of this debate. Magister's article is very professional in its presentation, and nothing like what we would expect from some of the more sensationalist commentators out there. But it is this division and the accusations of being in schism, or near to schism, that illustrate this divide. Vigano is clearly viewed as a liability by many, not as a truth-teller. This is a shame, too, but it is expected. I mean, after all, what can we say about this other than that it fits perfectly with the crisis in our times that we see in the broader culture? Civilization is melting down. The alleged leaders of the church are practically in hiding and complicit in much of the meltdown, and many on our own side cannot accept that a council that the popes of the time said was not infallible might, just might, be a major part of our woes in the church, and by extension in the world. It's also tiresome, really, but it should be expected. We battle against principalities and powers, and this division is part of their playbook. It is too bad that it must continue even as we barrel towards the fulfillment of the Fatima warning, which I have something on for you tomorrow. And let me know what you think about this in the comments, please, and please pray for the church and for those in lay and ecclesial leadership positions that we might have real unity to weather the storm, a unity based on recognition and pursuit of the truth of our situation and its causes, not one based on ignoring the truth. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.